Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome to New Books in History, a channel on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Michael Van of Sacramento State University. Today I'm chatting with Professor Philip Stetzel about his second book, The Faculty Lounge, A Cocktail Guide for Academics, out with Indiana University Press in 2023. Dr. Stetzel is a specialist in post-World War II German, West European, and transatlantic political and intellectual history. After earning his PhD at the University of North Carolina, Dr. Stetzel taught at the at Duke University and Boston College before coming to Duquesne in 2014. His first book, History After Hitler, uh, Transatlantic Enterprise, uh, out with the University of Pennsylvania Press in 2018, analyzes the intellectual exchange between German and American historians of modern Germany from the end of World War II to the 1980s. Philip Stetzel, Philip, if I may, welcome to New Books uh, in History and the New Books Network, or welcome back, actually. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure, pleasure to be back. Yes. Yeah. And this this is uh, going to be a different book than the, the normal interviews we do. It's a little different than the, the standard history monograph I'm, I'm, uh, I'm used to. Um, but before we get into the faculty lounge, would you please tell us a bit about yourself? Um, you know, what was your intellectual trajectory uh, that led you to become the historian that you are? And um, what about that necessitated the need for uh, a couple of solid cocktails over the years? So I'm originally from Munich, Germany, and that's also where I attended the university yeah, for eight semesters. And then I was planning on studying in the UK, but then also applied for for fellowships to study in the US and ended up getting getting a Fulbright that brought me to Columbia uh, 20 years ago. And so I got my master's there, started my PhD in Germany, didn't like it, returned to the United States, to UNC Chapel Hill. In 2004, so I've been sort of back and forth across the Atlantic, but but have been in the United States now for for almost 20 years. I think well, you're 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 a, you're a transatlantic histor- German American historian. That's correct. Yes. Okay, yes. okay, yeah. <laughs> it's all falling into place now. Uh, and I think you know my 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 path to becoming a historian it's probably not an unusual one. I had a really really good high school history teacher uh, who taught me for three years, and he made it clear to us that history is about interpretation, not about memorization. And that really resonated with me. And 
uh, his, his way of letting us explore our own interests, our own projects, giving us advice whenever necessary, but not you know, guiding us too much. Um, I think that was an approach that really made history fun for me. And um, so that's how I got started. And then what, what led, I mean, I just made the joke that you are indeed a transatlantic uh, German-American historian, but what led you to that topic for your first book? It came out of my interest in uh, the politics of history. I've, I've always been interested in how disciplines function and, and the way the political context uh, influence historians' writings, how the societal context shapes the questions we ask, the answers we give. And uh, with, with that in mind, I wrote a massive thesis on a, on a historian controversy in 1960s Germany about the origins and outbreak and course of World War I. And uh, using that as a lens to look at transatlantic intellectual relations, I realized it would actually be really interesting to look at the, at the entire post-World War II period from the late 40s to the late 80s and see how two countries that go from wartime enemies to Cold War allies, how that change in political relations, uh, how that coming along with a lot more resources available for, for, for scholars on both sides of the Atlantic to go back and forth to do archival research, to go to conferences, how that creates the conditions for an intellectual academic, for, for intellectual community of historians and how German Jewish emigres now teaching in the United States are intermediaries. And um, so I found that combination of different groups of people writing about Germany after World War II uh, to be a really fascinating project. Does it go all the way through the historic strike? Forgive my pronunciation. Yes, yes, okay, yes, so yes. That's... It, it, yeah. it, ends with, it ends with unification, not because uh, I believe that political caesuras coincide with historical or historiographical shifts, but because in the 1990s, uh, the, the, the focus on 1933 as the big question, how did the Nazis come to power? What were the origins? Uh, how, how far we do, do we have to go back? Um, those questions then gave way in the in the 1990s uh, to, on the one hand, um, a closer focus on the on the history of the Holocaust, but also on the history of the GDR. And so this fairly sort of neat, I think, uh, story that 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 I, one can tell from for these four decades uh, by the late 1980s really then goes into a different direction. Yeah. Well, and and also Francis Fukuyama told us that is literally the end of history. So there's there's really no point in continuing the book after that. Exactly. Yes. Uh, well, that was it November 9th, uh, 1989. Um, uh, that was so nice of him to figure that one out for us. Um, so um, this book is is a different book um, in a number of ways in your previous work. Um, uh, and in the Faculty Lounge, you explained that this book came out of your experience during the COVID lockdown and during the pandemic. And your first cocktail you, you talk about was the social distancer. Um, you want to tell us this origin story? Absolutely. I should make it clear at the very beginning, I think, that the Faculty Lounge is, is not your typical cocktail book. It's rather a satirical take on academia, which uses cocktails and the the tasting notes, if you will, as as the vehicle for humor. Uh, and like you said, the origins really lie in the very first weeks of the pandemic. I uh, looked it up the other day. It was March 16th, 2020. We had moved online. My University of Duquesne had moved online the previous week, and I had just recorded and uploaded my teaching materials for the for the next day and it was probably around 5 5 30 p.m and i felt like having a cocktail and normally i'm a gin manhattan a rye Mart uh, a gin martini and a rye manhattan kind of person but that day i just wasn't in the mood for something different and i thought what what do i have at home and it turned out i had bourbon i had tart cranberry juice 
and I had grenadine. So I uh, took a mixing glass, put ice in it, and I combined those three ingredients, uh, stirred it, and then served it up with, with an orange twist. And then I thought, okay, this needs a name. And probably not surprisingly, the first name that I could think of was the social distancer. And um, as I think, you know, some of us do these days, then I also took a picture of, of the cocktail glass sitting on my windowsill uh, in, in my apartment in Pittsburgh and, um, you know, tried it. I liked the taste. So the next day I thought, you know what, I'll do this again. And I had seen earlier the day on, I don't know if it was on Twitter or somewhere else, but somebody had posted a photo of his gin martini and called it a quarantine. And I thought, oh, that's clever pun. Uh, I'm going to borrow that pun, but I'm going to change the recipe. So I added a splash of absinthe to a dry gin martini. Why? Well, because I had it by myself. Everybody else was absent. And then I realized, um, you know, I was having more and more fun doing that. And some of my academic friends, some of my non-academic friends who saw this on, on social media said, Philip, um, this is fun. Keep it up. And so I did. So for the rest of the semester, each weekday between five and six in the afternoon, I would come up with a recipe. And then I gave the cocktail a name that somehow corresponded to how COVID affected our work as, as college professors. So over the course of the following weeks, uh, the remote instructor came into being and the inaccessible archive, the canceled conference, because I had one of those where I almost went, but then didn't go. Uh, and of course, the Cogito Ergo Zoom. And by the end of the semester, I had a repertoire of about 30, 30 cocktails. And uh, what was interesting at the time was that two of my grad school friends were much more public-facing scholars than I am, said to me, you should try to do something with this. This has potential. And I didn't really believe it, but then I decided to pitch something to the Chronicle uh, or into in, Inside Higher Ed. And it turned out that those venues were concerned that their readers might not be able to see the difference between here's somebody making fun of the pandemic, which of course I wasn't, and here's somebody making fun of how the pandemic makes our life more difficult, which I was. Uh, so they said, no, we can't. We can't do this. We're not interested. Um, I tried Max Sweeney's. Uh, they didn't want it. And then I just said, okay, well, it doesn't matter. I just I had fun doing this. Some of my friends enjoyed it too. Um, and then I just forgot about it. And it was not until August of the same year, August 2020, my school was about to enter a hybrid semester with some of the students in the classroom, some of the students online. And I just... Out of a whim, one afternoon, put a thread on Twitter and I said, hey, another pandemic semester is in front of us. I think we could all use a drink or maybe 25. So here are some suggestions. Cheers. And then I watched in amazement how that thread uh, went viral, I guess, and was shared a few thousand times and has viewed hundreds of thousands of times. And then about two weeks later, I'm getting an email one afternoon from an editor with Indiana University Press. Uh, and she says, hey, I saw this thread. I think it's funny. Would you be interested in talking about doing a cocktail book with us. And I said, sure, why not? So it really was very much unplanned, which made the whole thing even more enjoyable. Oh, that's wild. So I, yeah, I was wondering how you pitched it to um, a university press, but they, they sought you out. And, uh, and this, and this is another sort of Twitter driven pandemic thing. Well, I mean, right. Right. Yeah. May, very, very, may, very, may, may that website rest in peace. Um, <laughs> I mean that was yeah, what it was, a, it was a, the glory it was, was a very 
it was a very different experience from the first book where I, you know, I had to try a few publishers until <laughs> somebody got interested. And so here I am just enjoying myself as much as you can enjoy yourself during the pandemic. And uh, then I, I get an inquiry. So it was really a, it was some of that was somewhat unreal experience. Yeah. Yeah. There were a few other scholars doing similar things. Um, I don't, you know, if you know the um, Viet Thanh Nguyen, the um, um, Vietnamese American novelist, uh, he wrote the the Sympathizer, where he won the Pulitzer. Oops, excuse me, but microphone won the Pulitzer, and um, uh, has written a number of other books. Um, run Macar- one of MacArthur uh, Genius Grant, but he was posting uh, his cocktails that were related to, um, uh, I think, his second novel as he was working on it, and um, was was coming up with different pairings for different sections of uh, mm-hmm. what he was writing on. So. Um, yeah, you, you definitely tapped into something going on in the, uh, in the culture at this point. Um, so, I mean, describe the book for us. Um, how is it organized? What, what does it look like when you pick it up? Yeah. So once, once the, the editor contacted me and we, we got to talk, uh, it was an absolutely wonderful experience working with her because she, uh, she has an English literature background. And so the, uh, you know, we were on the same page about, virtually everything. Uh, and uh, we also agreed that this should not be this should not be a book that that remains limited to the pandemic in academia, but it should be about academic life in general. Uh, and so I uh, this book starts, there's seven chapters. Uh, it starts with a with a chapter for the for the graduate student. Um, so for example, there's a cocktail called the dissertation committee, which has five ingredients, but you'll only ever be able to get a hold of four at the same time. Because uh, uh, of course we all have had most of us, if not all of us, have had that experience. Um, there's a, a chapter for the faculty member. There's a chapter for teaching and grading. Uh, there's one for researching and writing. Um, there's one for the conference attendee. Uh, of course, there's also a chapter for the administrator, which um, is probably the most caustic one of the entire book, unsurprisingly. And uh, because I didn't want to end there. I uh, end with a chapter uh, entitled Toast Your Favorite Intellectual. So there's a Max Weber cocktail and a Judith Butler cocktail and a W.E.B. Du Bois cocktail and a Marie Curie cocktail. So this is how it ends. Uh, but then, of course, the very last cocktail, the epilogue in the book, um, what more appropriate cocktail could one end a academic cocktail book with than with the, the very last word, um, which has nothing to do with the Prohibition era last word. Um, but it's my very last word on the the process of cocktail mixing, just because it's it's a drink that I generally enjoy. It's a variation on the Negroni, but instead of using gin uh, Campari and vermouth, it uses gin mezcal Campari and vermouth. So it has very four very strong, very distinct flavors, which in my opinion work really well together. And um, that's that's how the book concludes. Yeah, yeah. So that, that that's one of your favorite entries. Um, what um what are what are some of your other favorite entries um and are they are they your favorites because of the actual quality of the cocktail or because of the clever name or the the pithy uh, uh, um, little description and serving notes that you have uh, at the bottom of the page I think I have I would say I have I have favorites in both in both areas in both categories uh, in terms of taste I I also really like the the forty minute conference paper which is a a drink than that you really need when somebody is just not coming coming to the end and not coming to the end uh it's a it's a it's a it's a variation of the sidecar so sidecar has cognac Cointreau, and lemon juice and i thought i could imagine it 
to to be working if you replaced cognac with rye whiskey. So it's rye whiskey, Cointreau, and lemon juice. So it's a not a not at all a complicated cocktail, but I think one that um, that tastes um, that's quite quite tasty. Uh, I think another one that I really like is the the board of trustees. Uh, but please um, use the appropriate uh, spelling. It's B O R E D, board of trustees, uh, which has white rum, tart cranberry juice, uh, fresh lime juice, splash of grenadine, um, and then you garnish it with a with a lime wedge. Uh, I think in terms of um, sort of tasting notes, uh, I probably would have to mention also from the admin chapter the presidential platitude, uh, which is a gin based cocktail. Um, because then once you've made that, the, the, the instructions or the tasting note read, enjoy, and please know how much I appreciate your willingness to go that extra mile on behalf of our university family during these trying times. Uh, when I actually first came up with this, with this cocktail and, uh, with the little commentary on it, and, uh, I tweeted it, I got uh, a private message, personal message from, a from a colleague of mine, uh, teaching at a, an university in, in the New York area. And said, Philip, this is really eerie. I just got an email from my university president, more or less verbatim, <laughs> with, the, with the same with the same phrase. And so then I then then I thought, okay, perhaps perhaps I'm doing something right here. That it's sort of a um, you know responding to the moment. I think this is also what made it made it fun. That sometimes you know colleagues would say, um, I was just in a really awful town hall. Do you have a cocktail for that? And so I, you know, started looking into it and. Would then come come back with with the with the appropriate recipe. So I think, um, you know, in, in terms of working the the process of working at the book uh, on this book, uh, it also allowed me at a time when, well, we couldn't meet for conferences. Uh, we obviously there was you know no no travel was possible. We didn't even see our our departmental colleagues. That it really allowed me to remain connected with some of my colleagues, some of my academic friends in the field. Um, which actually was really important during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, and you know that that's so funny that you said it. You had a a friend respond to you right away because when I I first got a copy of this the other week, um, I think one of the first entries I read. And, and just by the way, the book is organized that each page has the name of the cocktail, the recipe, um, the directions for making it, and at the bottom these uh, these directions uh, for for how to enjoy it, um, the sort of tasting notes. Um, but I uh, I saw the desolate department chair, which is a uh, two ounces of vodka, one ounce tart cherry juice, half uh, ounce fresh lemon juice. Excuse me, sp- splash of simple syrup, one to two, one to two dashes of cherry bitters, and a lemon twist. And at the bottom it says, "Enjoy and get to work on this twenty seventh iteration of next semester's teaching schedule before you send out the long agenda for the next faculty meeting." And I was, I started laughing, and I took a took a photo of it. And uh, texted it to my uh, department chair, who said, "That is literally what I've been doing all afternoon. <laughs> You've literally been dealing with our teaching schedule and putting together this long agenda." So, um, uh, poor uh, chair Jeff Wilson um, was really feeling it. Unfortunately, it was a little too early in the day for him to uh, <laughs> to indulge in that. <laughs> but um, I, it, I mean, it's it's just an absolutely delightful read to go through, and the and the comments are just so. Um, so insightful and so fun, and um, I think really empathetic for uh, what a lot of us are struggling with in various aspects of academia. Um, so, I mean, it, that sort of raises the question, is this really a book about cocktails, or is it a critique of the current state of academ- academia or academic life, or or, or, or both? I, I think I think it's 
I think it's both, or at least that's how that's how I intended it to be. I I think it's more a a I view it as more mostly light, maybe occasionally a little heavier, but mostly sort of light satire on academia and academic life. Um, I think you know this wouldn't have worked as an angry book. I mean, there's certainly so much to be angry about right now in academia uh, uh, from you know the the blatant mismanagement at West Virginia University that. Yeah, we've been following. Um, you know, it's very close to, to to Pittsburgh, of course. So this, and I know a lot of people there who are affected by um, by this by this travesty. And so there's there's a lot to be angry about, but that would not have translated well into to a book. So I decided to sort of keep it light. Um, I mean, I think the the chapter that deals with administrators, uh, I think, sort of make it clear how I feel about certain issues uh, and certain arguments, uh, but. Uh, again, you know, it is really, I think, precisely because academia, higher education is in, in a really, really tough spot right now in, in this country that maybe a little lightheartedness uh, also doesn't hurt. Uh, at least that's how, I, how I've been getting through the last few years. Um, so, uh, you know, critique, you know, to some degree, but I think it's more, you know, it's more supposed to pe- make people smile or laugh or chuckle um, and, and not sort of reinforce uh, justified negative emotions that, that we might have about issues that occur at our or at other, other institutions or about certain individuals who are, um, you know, overpaid and underperforming. So um, that's that's, how, we're, that's how, I res- how I would respond to this. Well, um, I think some of those individuals may be wondering how um, this book is going to fit into your uh, promotion file. Um, so how do you, I mean, I, I asked this jokingly, but also, I mean, what do you, how do you present this book as something that you did as a, as a professor? Uh, I mean, I, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to try, uh, you know, file for, for promotion to full professor with this book. Uh, I, uh, I, I'm very much it's doubt with a, this a, pro, a prominent university press. It's, 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 it's a prominent, it's, it's a prominent university press. Uh, and uh, uh, my my dean, if I may say this, who uh, is, is truly wonderful in liberal arts at my university, um, she granted me a, a scholarly course release for the book, which uh, I thought was um, uh, you know was 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 lovely, but also showed that that the dean has a sense of humor. Um, you know, I uh, you know it's. it's it was important to me that that this was a university press book because uh, I think that um, considering that this is a cocktail guide for academics, that makes sense. And if you know Chicago, the University of Chicago Press could do a, bo- a book titled "Doodling for Academics," then I think it also doesn't hurt if if this this uh, humorous cocktail guide is published with with the university branch as opposed to the trade branch of the press. Uh, but you know, I mean, I. I, I take this as a as a as a fun side project, uh, one that also allows me to uh, connect with a lot of people. I was just yesterday at uh, at Ohio State. Well, I should rather say at a at a cocktail bar in Columbus, very close to the campus of Ohio State, and I met with a number of history faculty and history graduate students uh, at OSU uh, and talked about the book, talked about the origins and what's in there. And the uh, the bar had four of the cocktails from the book. Uh, in um, on the on the menu that that they were serving, uh, and that's really to me the the sort of recurring joy of of having done this book that I'm able to get out there, um, either reconnect with people I already know or meet, like in this case, um, you know, a few new people in in, in at other institutions, 
uh, and you know we taste cocktails together and and, and laugh about the things that's in there. And uh, that to me is sort of the the, the benefit uh, rather than the book being sort of part of my professional advancement. Well, I don't know. I I, I would having served on RTP committees, I would suggest you put it under service to the profession. Uh, I think you've 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 done us all <laughs> done us all a solid, sir. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail, from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to Shopify.com/system all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. <laughs> um, so you note that the, um, the German Studies Association played a role in uh, the history of the faculty lounge. Can you talk about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the German Studies Association is, is my main professional association. And uh, ever since... I came back from the archives as a graduate student. I've been going to their conferences, and it's a it's a very very collegial uh, association with so many smart and wonderful and and supportive people. Where as a graduate student, I felt very much taken seriously and and supported. Um, now that you know, I'm 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 a tenured faculty member. I'm sort of trying to to do the same for for graduate students who attend. So it's really my you know my professional home, so to speak, uh, apart from my from my university. Uh, and so um, a number of members of the GSA uh, generously agreed to be non-anonymous peer reviewers. So I would send them the entire manuscript or I would send them, you know, certain cocktails or certain certain jokes uh, that came with the cocktails and would tell them, can you please let me know, does this work? Do you have suggestions? Uh, so that was uh, one important role in which sort of the GSA um, figured, but also the couple of GSA members, uh, three of them actually um, wrote really lovely blurbs of the book. Uh, but the GSA was also a place where I uh, did this as as an event for the for the first time in 2020. It was a actually a Zoom cocktail hour when we had an online conference that year for 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 pandemic reasons. And in 2021, we had a very as much smaller GSA uh, in, in Indianapolis. And because a lot of other events that normally happen didn't happen that year. There was space for them to schedule me for a live in-person cocktail hour where we had the um, the 40-minute the conference paper, uh, and then there was a mocktail, and I don't recall which one it was. Uh, but, but you know, two, two drinks from the, at that, ti- at that time, book in progress, we were able to try. And uh, it was such a nice hour because, you know, we this was the first, I think for most of the attendees, the, the first in-person conference at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, and so finally, you are not just connected through Zoom, uh, where you then log off and you think, okay, now I can go to dinner with this colleague or friend of mine, which I normally would do. Uh, but actually, we're able to have sort of that in-person gathering again, um, and and that was fun. Uh, and so now that the book, when the book came out uh, this um, late August of, of this year, uh, I was you know thrilled that I could show up at this year's GSA, which just met and and Montreal um, last weekend. And show up there with the book in hand, uh, and you know, then show it around and say, you know, I really owe so much. This book owes so much to so many people at the GSA, and now I can I can share it with those people at that conference. So that was very meaningful. Yeah, that's fun. Is is I mean, forgive my ignorance and forgive some of my um, uh, 
adopted prejudices, having been trained as a French historian, where our conferences uh, normally have a really excellent collection of um, uh, of uh, red wine um, and never cocktails. Uh, is there a cocktail culture in in German studies or in 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 Germany as a whole, or is it? I mean, I, I've got I've got the awful French stereotype of it being beer, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think that's certainly uh, that's not just the stereotype. I think that also you know corresponds to you know or probably um, is true for for many of the members. I uh, I'm somewhat a weird a weirdo who grew up was born and grew up in Munich and actually doesn't like beer. Uh, so I'm I'm sort of I guess is that what you had to leave. If, is that did they get yeah, you out <laughs> exactly? Uh, um, but I, uh, you know, I think I think the sort of this 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 cocktail renaissance that uh, you know, we've experienced here in the U.S. now for 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 a few for a few decades. That's I think also increasingly manifesting itself in in Germany. And uh, just last month, I did a a really fun interview with a German uh, language cocktail magazine called Mixology and. Their editor in chief said to me when he scheduled that, he said, "You know, I'm actually interested in talking to you about this because you're not a professional, right? I'm not. I've never worked as a bartender. I've never even taken a mixology class, so I'm very much an amateur. Uh, and I think on that note, I should also say that um, you know, in case uh, listeners are wondering, what do I need to buy for to make these cocktails? I I kept these. I've kept these recipes uh, fairly simple, um, not only because like I said, I'm not a professional mixologist, and I didn't think I should even try to compete with people who are doing this for a living. But also because I, some of the cocktail books that I that I own, um, that I appreciate for for a number of reasons, can be a little frustrating because often they require very exotic ingredients, and then you buy celery bitters, you know, for one for one cocktail in the entire book, but you never use it for anything else, uh, or you are required to buy rhubarb syrup or whatever. And I thought, no, I'm going to write a book where you need a liquor store and you need a good grocery store and then and and you're good to go. And so I think as a as an as an academic of course you also uh in an academic cocktail book you have to have a methodology section and if you don't mind I would just like to share this real quick because it sort of gets the it gets my approach uh across. So um I say here in my introduction most of the recipes call for ingredients that are easy to obtain. This book will not unnecessarily complicate the notion of a good libation, but will instead challenge the hegemony of libational complexity. Thus, you generally will not have to interrogate the liminal spaces of your kitchen cabinet for celery bitters, neither will you have to rethink whether or not that rhubarb syrup you once concocted is still good to use. Nonetheless, you may want to problematize which kind of liquor you prefer. Then it's time to purchase, unpack, and utilize the ingredients and to contextualize the cocktail in its proper glass. So that's the idea behind it. Um, and, you know, so as a result, I don't think this is a book that will require a potential reader to spend a few hundred dollars on on uh, on, on fancy ingredients. Right. And as, as a good historian, you're doing some revisionism there. That uh... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so have you got any um, pushback or negative reaction to the book? Uh, not really. Maybe you know. Maybe because maybe it's because not enough administrators have seen that book, uh, who <laughs> who may take may take offense. I don't know. Uh, but um, I think the one, and I don't 
even see it as as as, as, as pushback or negative reaction. But um, at that cocktail bar I just mentioned in in Columbus, Ohio, where we had an event uh, Wednesday Wednesday evening, the the owner of the bar, who of course, unlike me, is a professional, pointed out to me that uh, fruit juice cocktails should be shaken, not stirred. Um, because of the the density of of the, of the juices and and the liquor, um, and so I throughout the book recommend uh, stirring. Um, I also think that in terms of taste, uh, the result is is is, is still good. Uh, but I I've taken notice that according to Orthodox mixology, fruit fruit juices are to be shaken, uh, not not stirred. And when he brought that up to me, I said, you know, and it was kind of. Just so you know, I don't want to, you know, don't want to uh, offend you. And I said, I'm not not at all offended. And also in my book, I say this is a cocktail book for academics, so all recipes are open to interpretation and reconsideration. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, if you making one of these drinks, and my book says serve it up, and you want it on the rocks, uh, why not do it? I mean, you talked about cocktail revisionism, and so that's there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> the the the, the cocktail strike, right? Yeah, I, that's like my maid of humor there. Sorry. <laughs> Have you had any um, uh, colleagues or um, associate deans uh, see themselves in the faculty lounge that you uh, you know of? No, I mean my uh, my previous department chair, that was chair when I was hired, uh, sort of cautiously inquired whether there was a cocktail satirizing a department chair. So he was apparently a little worried about that, uh, but I could assure him that no. Um, the the desolate department chair that you mentioned before um, sort of more commiserates with the chair about the tasks that 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 person ordinarily has to has to has to carry out. Um, so I don't think I don't think I've had anybody who would see themselves in the in the in the faculty lounge. It was sort of more that sometimes people would uh, uh, ask me, "Can you can you do something?" There was a um, a, a colleague of mine, actually also another GSA member, who uh, had a really really awful travel experience um both actually both ways coming and going to a conference and so she said is there a cocktail for that so i came up with the slight delayed scholar um i had a, a friend of mine who was a contingent faculty member at the time uh, at an ivy league institution uh come from a town hall and said um i just came from a town hall with our provost and it was extremely infuriating is there a cocktail for that so i said let me get back to you in a a couple hours, and um, I came up with the the two faced uh, town hall. So um, I think it's it's sort of more that that sometimes people would approach me and say, "Can you do something about a certain issue, a certain problem?" Um, so they might now see themselves as a result in the faculty lounge. But I haven't really gotten sort of that response from somebody who just flip through the book um, and then see, "Oh, this is me." That hasn't happened yet. Well, there were there were several sections where I thought you were looking over my shoulder over the years, uh, definitely with the the travel reimbursement page, which um, oh yeah, we can all relate. Yeah, I'm gonna I can have a few rounds of those in the, this coming year. Um, so uh, I, I I know I I think it's great that uh, there's a section for graduate students in in the faculty lounge, but I noticed uh, you didn't include adjuncts, and I'm not trying to give you a little gotcha question there, but um, I mean the. These are some of the folks that need the cocktails the most. I mean, some of the most overworked and and marginalized and underpaid. Um, and I was trying to think of what a good cocktail for the adjunct uh, class would be. And and um, you know, pro- probably not the freeway flyer because that wouldn't be safe, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I mean, there's, you know, to me, adjunct faculty members, and I'm saying this as somebody who was a contingent faculty member for four years. And in my case, the my situation was made even more challenging by the fact that I'm not a American citizen. So my employment status was inextricably linked with my with, with my visa status. And they were, you know, several semesters where I not only didn't know if it was going to have anything to teach the next semester, but also whether I could actually stay in this country or not uh, as a result. So, um, you know, I certainly have not, you know, those are those experiences you don't you don't forget, even if you then later uh, lucky enough to to land a tenure like job and, and, and get tenure. Um, I think since to me, you know, adjunct faculty are faculty, the chapter for the faculty member is also a chapter for the adjunct faculty member. And so whether it is uh, the the increased teaching load that, you know, of course, that's what adjuncts unfortunately have to do, teach more than than the tenure track and tenure faculty, uh, but of course at, at, you know, vastly insufficient uh, pay, uh, you know, that that might resonate. Uh, but I also thought that if I came up with, an, with a chapter just designated for the adjunct, it might actually reinforce that separation between regular faculty, so to speak, and the and the adjunct faculty. And that was not my intention because I, you know, I, I've, I've been there. I've been in departments where some of the of the of the tenure to tenure track faculty uh, were extremely good to me, um, and others would pretend I didn't exist when um, I was at the the photocopy machine. So. Uh, <laughs> very familiar uh, with that. I yes, six years at three institutions as an adjunct. Um, yes, <laughs> necessitated quite a few stiff drinks. Um, I think maybe 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 that just shots for that uh, <laughs> that that period of my career. <laughs> um, so, do, do you have any thoughts uh, or reflections on the culture of academic drinking? Um, sort of wide open. Um, I think I've been. Uh, I recently was on a uh, on a on a morning radio show, the Breakfast Club with Matt Taylor in Cedar Falls, Iowa, which was a lot of fun. To you know, I mean, it was kind of an odd experience at seven thirty a.m. to talk about cocktails. Uh, but the question I got, one of the questions I got there was, "Are you aren't you concerned that people might accuse you of promoting drinking?" Uh, and and the answer is no, because otherwise every every cocktail book author would have to, uh, you know, would have to feel guilty about promoting drinking. My cocktail book also has mocktails. So there's certainly um, a number of alternatives, uh, seven or eight mocktails for for people who either do not drink at all or, you know, drink occasionally. Um, the favorite of my mocktails, if I if I might mention this at this point, uh, actually a very simple one, it's the Wellness Webinar, and it has uh, equal amounts, two ounces of tart cherry juice and of ginger beer. And then that is topped off with with club soda. So it's a very simple, very simple drink. But in my opinion, the uh, the ginger beer and the tart cherry juice uh, is a really really delightful combination. Um, so they're also they're also mocktail options. Um, but otherwise, uh, I'm not really sure. Um, you know, I uh, obviously the, these cocktails are supposed to be consumed in moderation. Um, perhaps also after grading rather than before. Uh, but you know, um, I would say that the, the faculty meeting, the cocktail, the faculty meeting is probably one that it might be okay to hide in a coffee cup, uh, as, as you're sitting through the meeting, uh, especially as you sort of hit the two hour mark and it's still, the agenda is still not, it's still not completed. Yeah. I've, I've wondered about that at a few uh, of our, our zoom meetings that were later in the day. And I, 
during the pandemic, I was teaching master's seminars at night, three hours master's seminar on Zoom, like as we were trying to get used to that. And um, I remember one time I had a, um, a student in the class um, who had, uh, she had uh, two or three children and it was one of younger children and it was one of those nights and she kept having to to pause and, and go deal with some sort of uh, family crisis and kick them back. And she was looking absolutely one of my best students, but just looking more and more harried and exhausted every time she came back. And then finally she was gone for a longer period, came back, apologized, rejoined the discussion. And I noticed she had a wine glass with one of the largest pours of wine. And like, as, as she sort of brought it up, take a sip from it, I think she saw my eyes widen and she looked over the glass and I swear through Zoom gave me a look like, don't say a word, Doctor Van. And I was like, "Okay, okay, <laughs> we're we're all going to get through this as best we can. This wouldn't be appropriate in person, <laughs> but um, understood." Um, so you've been really generous with your time, but I've got two more questions before I let you go, and these are the the standard um, new books uh, deep briefing questions. Um, first, can you suggest two books for the audience to read? Uh, can they be cocktail books? How Whatever you want, you you are behind the bar right now. All right, uh, so I think one uh, uh, one one cocktail book that that was an inspiration in terms of the the wit uh, and and in the, the the cleverness that I'm hoping that at least um, sometimes comes through in, in mine as well is uh, Tim Fetterless Tequila Mockingbird. So it's a it's a literary cocktail book, and so each each cocktail corresponds to to a piece of fiction to a novel. Uh, and it's it's very very clever, um, and and I think my my only the only critique I had for, for that book was that it's it's one of those books where you really um, you know for 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 a for, for normal uh, consumer it's very hard to have all the ingredients at hand because often they are some that you normally don't have. Um, that's one, and then the other uh, very different book, but one that I really enjoyed. Uh, it's called. Um, uh, the M Manhattan, the story of the first American cocktail by um, an author named Philip Green, uh, who I think, if I remember this correctly, is an attorney in his main job, uh, but a cocktail historian on the side. And it's a it's a book on the on the origins of the Manhattan, which at some point during the 1880s uh, entered the scene in, in in New York City, and it's contested the year and and the exact place, um, but. Uh, it's a really well researched um, and very well written book about the uh, this classic drink, the Manhattan, which I personally enjoy a lot. Uh, and beautiful production, a lot of photos, uh, Manhattan related recipes. Um, so I think that is that that's a book that um, a friend recommended, and I got it and uh, read it in I think two evenings, and and cannot recommend it enough. Excellent, excellent. I'm going to uh, jump in and um, get behind the bar and wrote a, a book that um, and it was similar. It's it's fiction, um, but it's uh, Julie Schumacher's Dear Committee Members. Have you seen that? And it's um, she's a, a novelist and a professor of creative writing, I think, at the University of Minnesota. And it's a it's a series of letters from the same the same faculty member um, to various academic committees. And it, it's it's hilarious, but it's also really touching and um insightful but it when I, I was i was reading the faculty lounge i kept thinking of dear committee members and i think that would be an excellent pairing uh shall we say um now finally uh uh last call here um oh come on that was funny last call last question come on <laughs> 
trying to get this guy to laugh. Oh, okay. Um, what are you, what are you working on now? And, and what can we hope to see from you next? Uh, I'm, I have an idea for a follow-up cocktail book. I think it would be really fun. And I've started collecting materials and coming up with the first, um, cocktails in, 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 in that, in that regard would be a, uh, another academic cocktail book, but one that's organized by discipline. So you would have, you know, a chapter for the economist and a chapter for the psychologist, a chapter for the mathematician and a chapter for the political scientist and, you know, and so on and so forth. And, um, it would, I'm, fa- I mean, I'm interested in, in, in it for, 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 for two reasons. A, it would allow me to actually learn more about the histories of these other academic disciplines. I'm mentioned that in my first book, it was a contribution to the history of of our profession. And I think I would enjoy learning more about the history of, of other disciplines. Uh, but I think it also would be, uh, you know, I'm also interested because I think it would be um, a, a book that um, would appeal to people, not just in the US, but also in other countries. I think the faculty lounge uh, has some some cocktails and some 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 of the jokes, I think really are Sort of, they, they pertain really to the American academic context and situation, and uh, you know, some are probably more universally applicable, but but others are not. And I think this other cocktail book would have uh, a different, uh, you know, would have a sort of a broader uh, appeal. And you know, you would have a uh, or from the from the economist chapter, you would have a uh, you know a trickle down economics cocktail where you actually you end up getting nothing. Um, but uh, so I think that could be uh, that could be fun as well. Um, so that's what I'm currently working on, um, academic, academic projects. I'm actually, um, working on a, that's not a, that's not a monograph obviously, but, but more and more, more an article that sort of looks at the development of the job market for historians in Germany and the United States, uh, in the last 20 years. Um, because of course, you know, when I first came here for, for, for the PhD, um, the, the job market in the U S was certainly more robust. And, um, in, you know, as a student in Germany in the, the very late nineties and early, early, early years of, 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 the, of the new millennium, millennium, I, I, I thought, okay, this is, you know, I will never get a job at a German university. Um, in the U S situation was, was a little brighter. Uh, of course those, those days are, are gone, unfortunately. Um, so that's also something I'm, I'm, I'm interested in and, and concerned with. Well, that project sounds like it would necessitate a few, um, uh, a few cocktails at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really, really appreciated it. And, um, and again, really, really enjoyed the book and, and honest laugh out loud moments as I was going through it. Thank you. Thank you very much. So this has been a conversation with Professor Phillips. That's all about the Faculty Lounge, a cocktail guide for academics out with Indiana University Press in 2023. I'm Michael Van of Sacramento State University, and this has been an episode of New Books in History. Thank you for listening, and um, cheers.